The Diary of a CTO podcast. Sharing the secrets of successful CTOs. Brought to you by Trimor, the home of technology recruitment. Hosted by Guy Bevington. Okay, so Shankar, great to see you. Thanks for uh, for coming in today. Um, I wanted to start by saying how nice it is to actually be doing a podcast, given the last couple of years, how nice it is to do it actually in the same room yeah, <laughs> with somebody yeah, over, a, over a nice coffee. Um, so this is the first um, first podcast we've done, I think, post-COVID, where we've managed to get together. So thanks for uh, for making the effort to come in and, and see us today. Um, so you are the CTO of Clipped, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit about Clipped later on and you know what the business does and, and all that kind of thing. But um, I guess let's start with you, first and foremost. You know, Diary of a CTO, it's all about uh, you sharing your story. And... Um, yeah, I think it's pretty fair to say you've had quite a, you know, an impressive and, and star-studied uh, yet varied career in tech to date. Um, so you obviously started as a software engineer and then moved into tech leadership working for some of the kind of big banks. And then but you've also done your own entrepreneurial stuff as well. And so had your own your own ventures. So um, yeah, it'd be great if you could sort of talk us through where it all began for you, I suppose, with, with technology and and you know how you how you got into tech in the first place. Hi, Guy. Thanks. I mean, it's kind of, I've made it point these days to kind of come in and talk to people in person because, you know, after COVID, the two years, as we've all been locked down, you know, Zoom calls have become a little bit of overwhelming and, you know, you start losing human connections. And, you know, as a technologist, that's the one thing that I've kind of learned over time. I stopped talking more to computers and started talking more to people. Yeah. And then I kind of <laughs> missed, you know, talking to people a lot more these days. So it, I make it a point. So thanks for inviting me. And I'm very happy to be on this call. So talking about it, you know, the easy way of me kind of talking about it, 10 years back, I say I'm a guy who went from Fisherman's Wharf to Canary Wharf, right? <laughs> because my first job was in Silicon Valley, right? So as a startup software engineer, I actually ended up in a startup company right after Y2K, which I didn't want to do. And then, you know, I started prominently in the e-commerce age, uh, worked for one of the guys who actually was part of Sapient in those days and then did large-term consulting for e-commerce businesses. E-commerce was unheard of. So we did some really cool stuff in those days in terms of how we kind of wanted to do things. But also I have this interesting, you know, stories about my own career where when I started in an industry, it actually starts with a crash, which is kind of funny as well. Because when I started, there was the dot-com crash. Right. And then when I started in finance, we had the largest financial crash in 2008. It's your fault, isn't it? <laughs> exactly my fault. Yeah, yeah. trend game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But talking a little bit about my own career, that's exactly what I started. So I started in e-commerce, moved a little bit into uh, data, and then uh, came to 2006 to UK. From, and from 2006 onwards, I've been in this country. And uh, for me, the change has been phenomenal. You know? And then the underlying story of my career has been data. Right, So I've, I've been called Mr. Database. Uh, I mean, in banks, and especially in the Swiss bank, I've, I've had a database named after me called the Schneider's database. Hey, wow. That's <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty impressive. So, and uh, though I did a lot of different varying things over my career to kind of, uh, you know, spice it up a little bit and try if I can do something differently. You know, I did a bit of work in the media space, worked for broadcast media for a small time. I came back and tried to be like a hardcore financial guy, you know, try to do trading, you know, prop trading and my own, you know, uh, get involved in the front office. Figured that, you know, it's kind of a data story stuck to me throughout my career. So, uh, and then after a couple of stints, I kind of figured that I could take this data story and make it into a bigger 
uh, thing for myself. So the underlying thing being that I wanted to become an entrepreneur, I wanted to kind of do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an opportunity that came across, which we can talk if we had time. And then I kind of realized that that's the time when I would kind of stop working for corporates and do something more interesting. So in 2015, along with a good friend of mine, uh, a fellow American called David, we both started a company building a data platform that we wanted to sell back to financial organizations. So we were very successful, had a successful exit from the business in 2020. And when I went, decided that probably this is the age when people start playing golf and spend more time in golf. <laughs> yeah. So Clip was a perfect uh, amalgamation of you know, something doing something very big in sports, as well as you know continuing the data story, as well as you know building up, doing something fun. So it's got me here where I. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, I mean, it, and that's uh, Steelite, I presume you're talking about right. the business. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about your journey through uh, through Steelite and then obviously into into Clipped, but. Was it? I'm always really interested to speak to CTOs, um, you know, that sort of find their way into a position of a CTO because it's something I get asked very often by candidates. You know, sort of what's the the best route to get to being a CTO? And did you? Was it always, uh, you know, intentionally you were going to go into technology? Obviously, educationally, you've got your bachelor's, you know, and your master's in computer science. Um, clearly, you were kind of geared up for a career in tech, but. Were you, as a kid, were you always interested in tech and was that always going to be a natural career path for you to go down? Not at all. I mean, so if you look at it, I am actually not geared for a completely tech business. So I was, I started my life as an engineer, right? So, and my first job was actually working as a mechanical engineer, okay. actually into, though it was computer related because I was still in computer design and computer manufacturing and I worked for a large German company back in India. And this was uh, pre uh Technology that was 97 when I started my career. And, uh, I then had an interest in computers. So it basically meant that I, I wanted to do my master's in computers. So I went and did my master's in computers as I was working in this organization. And, uh, the reason why I wanted to move to tech was very clearly, uh, my first job was predominantly very big, uh, one of the largest, uh, Asian, even not even Indian, actually Asian refinery. And we we're building a waste treatment plant, which is basically a sewage treatment plant. And I kind of designed the entire treatment plant and I was part of a large team. And I used to work with these managers who are all great, had 50 years plus, and they were very intelligent, very smart, some of the best people that I've actually worked with in my career. And then I kind of realized very strongly that, you know, uh, these people, I'm going to take another 25 years to actually make any meaningful <laughs> dent or meaningful impact to this industry. Mm-hmm. I wanted a shot. I want to you know, short secure that. I said, what is the one thing that basically, you know, going to change that for me that I don't want to spend the next 25 years doing something and becoming good at it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that probably was the kind of spark in me that changed me to kind of look at tech and, you know, had the right kind of educational background to switch to technology. Yes. And then that's how I switched from being a hardcore engineer to a technologist. Okay. And then it, it was pretty much easier in those days, right? Today, I know when I look at the kids that I kind of train or the people that I speak to, they're all so switched on. You know, we had no, I mean, I always say, (laughs) I always say this, like, when you look at 25 years back, the access to technology and information was so low. You had to kind of, you know, put in the effort. I mean, we are talking of days when you had Yahoo Messenger and, and, you know, Yahoo chat rooms. You know, there's nothing that, that really remotely resembled Google. There there was no open and chat that's available for, you know, to ask any kind of intelligent questions. So it was all about, you know, your own interest. But, you know, I actually grew up with people who actually tinker around, you know, build their own Ataris. They would basically, you know, build amazing kit with their cells. So the kind of learning that you had on both edges were pretty, pretty strong. Yeah. But the interest was always like, I figured that, you know, this is going to where I'm going to kind of thrive and flourish. Mm. So that kind of worked very well for me. Cool. Interesting. I'm always really interested to hear from people that have 
worked or started maybe life in another area of engineering and then got into tech and software engineering. But I guess at its core, it's about solving problems, isn't it? It is, it is. And that logical sort of analytical mindset to spot a problem and, and solve it. But uh, no, that's cool. So um, let's talk through then a little bit about your, your journey. So you're, you're kind of first looking at your profile, kind of your first foray into leadership was um, for UBS, was that right? Um, was that your first... To, yeah, it's, it's, kind of, it's a little bit varied, right? So the funny thing is I had a career in India and then for personal reasons, I came to UK. So in India, I basically started as a software engineer and very quickly I grew up the ranks because one thing that I kind of, as you rightly said about is spot failures or problems and solve them, not only technologically, right? So very early in my career, this is my second job that I'm going to client's office two, three years into my career. And I'm like sitting there, I have two opportunities. One is to kind of get a job for myself in the US, settle down in the US, like most other Indian kids would do, which is what they were all doing. But I also noticed that the customer had a problem, right? They were sitting in front of, uh, they had a massive problem to solve for SAT scores in those days for, for two states of both Michigan and Georgia. And I kind of realized that this is my opportunity that I'm going to grab it by the horns, talk to them about business, right? So what changed for me then? Like this is what most people, if I, when they ask me about what the CTO role is, I'm saying that it's not a technology role. It's a business role. Mm. If you don't understand business, yeah. you know, so you're not going to do it. So I actually went and pitched a project idea to the customer, say to my, to my client and said that, see guys, I'll put a team for you guys in India. I mean, I'm coming from a consulting background, so I can put a team for you and I can deliver this in six months for the next, you know, SAT exams time. So which would give you an amazing opportunity. And both sides were kind of interested in, right? So the clients are like, okay, this guy is coming and talking to us, making sense, but he doesn't have an experience. Am I going to trust him? But we trust the company, right? And the back, guys back home is, what do you need from us, right? So I did work out the entire business plan, delivered a project for them on time, on budget, right? And that immediately made me you know, very visible in the organization to be seen as somebody who can take it on, right? So it's all about understanding what the business needs. And this is something that I've kind of continuously heard from people like, you're not a technologist. Then my heart is in technology, right? I still code, right? That doesn't stop me from actually thinking about and tinkering myself, you know, technology. But the problem is, the problem that I'm solving for people is business. Mm. You're trying to solve a business problem. And, you know, I'm not sitting in Google. I'm not sitting in a large organization, which is pure tech businesses, right? I'm kind of a business guy who kind of understands what the business is trying to do. Yeah. And then, you know, solve that problem for them. And then that makes a, open the whole array of things. So then I went into another company. Uh, that's my kind of foray into a media company where I started, a, uh, when I joined a guy, an American guy who was trying to build a digital media business. He had a pure, uh, what we call today as a UX business. So they were building animations and broadcast uh, videos for the television industry. Must good business in that time. And he wanted to kind of do something more tech. So I said, yes, okay. I went in. They had two engineers, grew up the team to a 40 people team, right? So kind of, he wouldn't still accept me as a director of engineering and call, give me the title, right? Because I was still like five years into my career, <laughs> which was kind of frustrating from, from a HR perspective, right? Absolutely. You know, you, yeah. We are happy to call you a project manager. I'm like, no, I'm not a project manager. No, this is my opinion. Yeah. And what is it? supposed to be people. Exactly, right? Yeah. And, and then, you know, that, that kind of story changed. And then there was a personal issue, which basically meant I had to kind of come back to UK and immediately, you know, I had to start my career from scratch. So went back. So he came here. I mean, today, you know, in hindsight, you can say a lot of things. Don't come into a new country in October when they don't hire for the next three months. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Yeah, you've spoken to me beforehand. Exactly. Wait a couple of months, wait till Jan. But, um, so exactly, yeah. happened. What that happened to me? Right? So kind of come here, stay with a friend, you know, stay at a friend's house, trying to kind of figure out what what this job looks like. Mm. The first job you come in, you know, that's that's 
half decent you take it on right you're not thinking anymore you have family at home course, i was just yeah. married i had a kid so it was kind of very kind of different for me at that point but then as you rightly said in a couple of years as soon as i went into a bank i mean one year i spent back in the e-commerce space working for a large search engine company which is why my heart is always with search engines a lot more mm-hmm. because they're a product search company so kind of i realized at that place is you stop doing things with databases right you actually start building data systems right yeah. the proper thinking around google the proper thinking around large data systems i don't want to use the word big data it kind of fucks me a little bit but large <laughs> data systems you know yeah. start understanding where data how data has to be designed and stored and you know which is kind of the theme of the everything that i built from there onwards and then i went into banking right so the moment i went into banking morgan stanley i was a consultant third party consultant because i was working for this consulting organization consulting product consulting right and then okay. this consulting team sent us to morgan stanley immediately kind of grew up ranks in terms of how i pro- operated the project right i'm an external consultant but still had the entire data and analytics team reporting into me put the pro- processes in place was running through completely i didn't have the title because i'm still a consultant external consultant to morgan stanley so when the boss left and he went on to build so the guy who built morgan stanley matrix is a guy who went and built ubs neo Right, so when he went to Neo, he clearly knew who were the people he was going to take. So there were three of us. The three of us became the architects of the entire platform when we went to build Neo. So I was one. Of, so there it was very clear. I was kind of part of the UBS. You know, I had all the recognition alongside the work that I was doing. Finally, <laughs> so the title came along. Right, so yeah. it was pretty simple. Right? I'm one of the three architects of Core uh, platform. I ran search analytics for them globally. Right, and then went on to do similar things at uh, Noble, and then. You know, quite noble to start my own company and uh, in all of these things the, the 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 underlying thing that i always say is do the job you know don't worry about the title right if you are the leader yeah. if you're doing what a leader should be doing if you're thinking about business if you're kind of presenting your ideas if you're if you're building something amazing people are going to notice that mm-hmm. right and and then automatically the title will follow right so to me cto title is not glamorous anymore you know for for actually for a couple of years when i was at, when i was still i Uh, two of us, right? We started both of us as technologists. We are both passionate builders. We kind of asked ourselves, "Who do we call as a CTO? We can't have two CTOs in any company. That doesn't oh, work, right? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work. Co CEOs work. Co CTOs doesn't work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we kind of interestingly called ourselves. We called him as chief product, and I called him as chief data officer, right? So, oh, okay. so in Australia, like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. We never had a we never had a. uh CTO role in Sela until I was there when I moved out of Sela then you know he had no choice but to call him as CTO <laughs> fair enough <laughs> so David now calls him as CTO but the funny thing is so the title is uh, as he called about as a diary of a CTO my point is very simple uh focus on the business problem yeah. and then try to build it you know scale it right so the scaling problem always exists everywhere mm-hmm. the persons who are able to kind of think about these problems up front and are able to provide business solutions yeah. are the ones that are going to become and get there and stay yeah. absolutely i think that's that's a great point and a really important distinction to make because i i think you know when i think about through the years all the ceos i've worked with the ones that i'd say you know i, I see as the, the highest quality best most valuable ceos are the ones that that have the business acumen to sort of get what they're doing from a business perspective and i guess I really like the way you sort of position it as a business role because you know one of the great things you have given the technology is evolving at the speed it is now and, and what it's actually able to do for businesses in terms of sort of transforming as a CTO and that's your level of input and kind of how you're able to 
actually, you know, um, drive a business forward and, and add value and really solve problems for a business. You know, from a technology point of view, it must be really quite liberating, you know, um, to be able to, to do that. But, but I totally agree with you to be able to sort of see it always from the business point of view makes, makes total sense. Um, and I like your other point as well about, you know, just, just do the job. And I don't know if you know the, the, the recognition will, will come. And, um, you know, clearly it's very impressive that you've pretty much started your whole career again and, you know, managed to, to get to where you've got to. So you obviously can't keep a good man down, can you? That's, the, that's clearly the moral of the story. Um, okay, cool. So um, what I'm really interested to understand then is you, you had this role, obviously, like head of search and, you know, architects in this big data solution from scratch. Uh, what made you want to go and, and sort of go, do you know what, I've done the corporate piece, really interested in my entrepreneurial journey and starting my own thing. Um, yeah, talk to us through a little bit about um, when you started your first, your first business. Okay, so the, uh, it's, it's kind of, I had a kind of, I was talking about it during COVID times when my friends were going through a little bit of patches, people who've gone into contracting and they were all kind of struggling and they were like, what, oh, what did you do? How did you change it for you and everything else? Then I had a kind of talk to them and the idea I said to them was entrepreneurship was in me for a long time. And I tried too many things and I failed too many things, right? So it was not one effort, right? So I started, as soon as I came into this country, I had a couple of business ideas. Then I wanted to do something else with somebody else. So each time the underlying problem that I realized for myself over the period of time, uh, it actually had one product, which I, we actually delivered, right? Unfortunately, that product failed because the business partner that I went into doing the business with, he's a childhood friend of mine. We, we, we studied together, you know, in, 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 you know, preschool times, you know, my 10th grade and 8th grade and stuff like that. In fact, it was my brother's uh, classmate rather than mine. But we were very close. <clears throat> we delivered a product and he couldn't sell it. And uh, what I realized is you need to do it full time. Like entrepreneurship is commitment. Entrepreneurship is basically taking, I mean, it's not like just saying that I can, I can spend the evenings that I have. Some people are lucky. I mean, I would call them. I mean, in fact, one thing that I learned the whole journey is entrepreneurship is a lot of work. But a lot of things have to come. It's not how smart you are, how good you are. You know, it, a lot of things have to align and you have to learn, learn a lot, unlearn a lot. Yeah. Right. So as, as you're doing uh, your own stuff. So what uh, made that conversation for me was like, I l realized that I have a opportunity where I have to leave what I'm doing. You know, I can't have the safety of a banking job. I can't have the safety of a corporate job to do what I want to do. Yeah. But Given the family, given the you know, growth and changes and everything else, where do you take that line? So it was very hard for me. Again, luck, right? Because timing, luck, everything falls in place. And uh, Noble basically went through a very difficult times. They went from an $85 billion valued company to about three and a half billion after selling a lot of assets. They went into the same problems as Enron. They had a kind of, you know, I mean, the story repeated this many times, you know, hearing about the same stories about Adani Group in, in India from an Hindenburg research, right? So. At that point, we had built a big platform that completely changed the way uh, they were doing business in terms of profit and loss. Now, we had systems that were systematically done. We spent about $30, $40 million in building that platform inside the business. And we didn't want to shut it down. I mean, they were not willing to shut it down. And they had a team in Asia. So what me and David, we both, so I was running data. He was running applications. Okay. So we both was co-running the entire engineering operations. We told ourselves, okay. uh, we have an opportunity. We've done it twice. So he came from a background of building something for Vodafone in the past. I have done it in banks. Okay. So, but 
pretty solid data guys, right? So we said, okay, we you've done twice, I have done it thrice. You know, we both have very common knowledge of how to build large systems mm -hmm. for 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 people who want to solve this in the particular industry, right? So again, our focus was very clear. We're going to go to the financial industry. We've seen them fail multiple times, mm -hmm. and there are clear paths. And we have a not a crazy but a very innovative idea of how to kind of solve this problem. So why don't we go and do it ourselves? So and then you know it was very easy for us because Noble gave us six months each, right? So to kind of hand over stuff, package it, send it to uh, Hong Kong for a team of developers to kind of you know uh, man manage what we built over five years, and then it gave us time. Okay, so as as a severance package, we'll use six months. Okay, we are sitting there and talking to ourselves. We have six months. They either can go find a job. Couple of months. So again, this happened in November. Okay, January. Come January first, we can go and either. Uh, find a job ourselves and, and be on our own ways, or we can try and make a business, right? What do we do? Then we hit hard. There was one company which was kind of very, I would use very politically correct terms, which believed in us okay. <laughs> and gave us a contract. I mean, honestly, the worst contract I've ever written in my life <laughs> because having sat on both sides of the coin, but that contract basically gave us two things. One is an intellectual property that we own, which was something that I heard continuously in my career that most intellectual property that you create belongs to the company, not to you. So we wanted to own what we created. Yeah. And a contract that basically is commercially viable for us, right? It, it is not the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we were earning, but can comfortably lead our lives, but then gives us a product that we can go and sell again. So we took that opportunity, uh, work 20 plus 22 hours, flat out from building a team, 40 people, 50 people, long teams, you know, building a product, the two of us sitting online, Pulling all nighters, spending time at a dungeon in the client's office. I mean, honestly, they gave us, they didn't, we didn't have this kind of lovely WeWork office, yeah. right? We were sitting in the basement floor of the client's office because they wanted us to come in. They said, yeah. you can use our offices. There are like mm. office rooms here, right? And it, it meant that we could sit together and work, yeah. right? So we would, we did all of that and pulled it through. So that's kind of how we built our first version of the product. We went live in March. Once I have a product, then I could actually go and scale it up to sell it to other financial organizations. So then we took it to the largest, uh, second or one or, I mean, one of the top two brokerage firms who believed in us again, 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 in these two cases, the thing that I learned is we did, we're not selling, right? We were using relationships, people who knew us, yeah. who, who, who had actually worked with him, worked with me in the past, yeah. you know, capable or understanding of capabilities. Mm -hmm. And then even in a, if, with all that, you know, you, you need to see something, right? So when they went to the brokerage firm, they had an amazing demo. They saw a billion dollar company invest in us yeah. and give us a contract that, that, and then they saw a working product. Yeah. Said, okay. We want to take it on. Yeah. Right. So it basically made it. So we then had a, a second product, a, a second customer for our own platform. And we could basically build a second version of a platform. Okay. And then like everybody else, we hit it like, are we going to run this? Okay. We have a half a million dollars in our bank sitting, bank rolling this, but we don't know what to do with this, right? So we're going to kind of burn this down very, very quickly. So we tried a couple of options. All of them failed. And you know, I still remember we were walking back from Switzerland after a particular massive failure of like investing about $100,000 in, in a project and the whole thing going tits up. And you know, we were like, what the heck have we done to ourselves? And then Matt Smith from our uh, Noble Times, who's both our manager as well as close friend of the two of us for 15 years, comes back and says, guys, I went to... Uh, Bloomberg to run their regulatory business. It's not going anywhere. Uh, but I think there's a big regulation coming in 2018. You guys have spent the last two years building a technology platform. If you can take the business problem and technology problem, I think it's kind of the perfect match. Why don't we kind of morph it into steel? And we build it, we build a regulatory business 
you don't guys have don't have to go and try and sell software you know mm-hmm. we'll sell services to financial organizations we'll solve a particular problem for them mm-hmm. and that was kind of the start of stila and three years down the line now we have what we've raised about 40 million dollars plus mm-hmm. in the business the business is uh, steadily growing with more than 120 employees uh which story that's a great story i absolutely love that story i think there's so many so many interesting points you kind of raised there the, the one thing that kind of struck me when you were talking you know it's sort of almost an extended analogy of what you're saying about just do the job because you know you say there's a lot of luck in entrepreneurship and there definitely is but i think the fact that you were in that situation where you built something three times you know you work you knew david working on server he'd done it twice you know you two coming together, I guess it wasn't a coincidence in many ways, and you kind of both built on your own experiences to make that a success. Um, and the other thing I just massively respect is, and I think it's a very, very good point, that entrepreneurship is about commitment. You know, it's about, you know, if you've got to do 22 hours a day to get a product up and running because you've got a six-month period, some people will do that, some people won't. And the people that ultimately go on to be successful, I believe are the people that, you know, when their backs up against the wall, they they do what they know they need to do to make it a success. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a, that's that's a great story. And uh, and Steel Eye obviously is a business today. But you know it's a fantastic brand and it's it's a business we know really well. So uh, so yeah, you know fantastic uh, fantastic story there. And um, so let's, let's sort of come a little bit more to present day and let's talk a little bit about Clipped. I guess as a, a company and what you're doing there because yeah, one of the great things about my job is I see. You know, tech and you know, AI being used to solve all kinds of problems and Clipped is definitely one of those businesses where probably one of the coolest uses of AI I think I've come across so far and quite, quite dear to my heart. So uh, yeah, give, give us a bit of an overview of, uh, of what you're doing there. All right. So, uh, I mean, there was a point in which I was kind of thinking about where, where we go next as a team and then it made sense for me to kind of find my roots in data and database systems and uh, we were, as a business, we were moving, morphing more from a Dev or data company into into a financial company, Sila. Right? So we needed the right kind of people at the top. We needed things to do. So I kind of had a discussion with my partners, and I decided to move. And then I found uh, my friends. I mean, this all started with a friend of mine coming back and saying, "I'm leaving UBS. I'm joining this startup. Can you give me advice?" At that point, I was continuously talking to people. I mean, entrepreneurship is all about talking to people, networking with people, and telling them what it is. Right? You're helping them with structure. You're helping them with what what you negotiate understanding do you really want to do this right as we talked about a little bit more you kind of pointed out it's a lot of commitment right it's a lot of things that you have had that you don't think about not anymore in front of you so we were talking about that and at the end of it he joked he said to me, i joked to him saying that if your guys ever need a cto let me know and then a week's time the founders called me right and then they said we want to you and then when i spoke to them about it it felt like three things clicked for me straight up right number one it was a perfectly match for data company. Like we were kind of going back into data. At that point, there was no AI. Right? I thought the business was data aggregation. Right? That's we still call Clip still call itself an aggregator, right? AI is kind of the, the nicer things of things. Fancy label. The fancy label. Yeah. That's fancy label, right? It's a fancy thing that we do now yeah. as we evolve. But when I joined, it was not there. Was we nice. always had the vision to get there. Getting the right people could mean that we could build what we wanted to build. But then the idea was always a data aggregator. Right? Right, okay. And the second thing that matched to me was since my e-commerce days, I've never worked, went and worked for a consumer business. And right. consumer technology changed over the last 20 years. Yeah, right? As I said, the last time I did consumer, there was no Google and Facebook. Right? So yeah, we've yeah. not heard of consumer technology. So it was always working for corporates. So for me, when I heard of business that could truly touch lives of individuals and work with them and you know, make a difference to, you know, 
regular people that you could that I could see and talk and everything else. That made a uh, that was very interesting for me. Third thing was the scale, right? I could basically go back and say, what's that total addressable market for uh, regulatory business and where it stands and within the financial industry and everything else compared to a building a truly a multi-billion dollar business, right? So those three things put together, the entrepreneur heart and we kind of said, probably a good choice, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I had to kind of let go of my co-founder title right. like, on everything that comes with it, right? So all the responsibilities and the perks that come with it, but the opportunity to build something nicer, build bigger, close to heart made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So we came in, I was kind of, I mean, the choice was made easier by two of my colleagues from, uh, UBS joining the business. So again, the funny thing is, I always say this joke, there was Matt, David and Shankar at Sea Life. There is a Matt, David and Shankar at Tripped, right? <laughs> there are two different Matt and David, so they're all oh, okay. the same people, right? <laughs> but it's, it's the trio of us, like here, David was a bank, he was a product officer at uh, UBS for 20 years. And Matt, as I call it, is Johnny I of UK, right? Because the most amazing designer I've ever met in life. Right. So he's a, he's a, Notch guy, he's actually a winner of the uh, information is beautiful about multiple times, couple of times now. So, guy who understands data so intrinsically, you know, he actually went and built a data business for a while before that got bought over by McKinsey or Quantum Black. Not heard of. So, he yeah. was a chief design author of Quantum Black. Okay, so we all came together and it meant that we could actually start on a new journey. And then we were joined by a couple of very smart data scientists who came in to build what became good. So, people ask me, like, are you guys? AI first. No, I say we are golf first. Right? We look at golf <laughs> nice. as a problem, right? Yeah, that's what you're saying. What's the problem? No, no I, I kind of see this, right? A lot of companies are like, even recently I spoke to a couple of engineers in different AI companies. They try to build a model and they try to apply it, right? So yeah. it's easy, right? Very easy, right? So when I now look at the ball slide, when I look at how we organize our methodology of calculating you know, a shot or quality for a shot, how well did you play this shot? I can take it and apply it to any any game that involves a bat and a ball, right? Mm. But that's not how we look at the problem, right? That's not what we're trying to do. This is kind of very clear for us. We are saying that we are passionate about golf. There is a golfing need. And if we solve this performance problem, then we'll go and solve some other problem for golfers, not try to take this technology and apply it wherever we want it. Mm. So that's a very clear distinction. So yeah. we are golfers at heart at Clipped, right? So what are we trying to do here at Clipped? It's not fancy AI, right? Fancy AI comes, it's, it's a need for me, right? I mean, I, it's already visible now with, with a lot of changes, what has happened with the advent of OpenAI and everybody else. People are realizing that AI is not uh, differentiated anymore. If you don't have it, you don't exist as a business, yeah. right? That change has already happened, right? You have to embrace it, make it part of your, you know, part of your day-to-day operations. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you lose in technology because that's not futuristic anymore. Yeah. What we try to solve is a fundamental problem of understanding what is what good life's like for a golfer. So that is a question that we ask. How do we define this? So we kind of look at him playing in the golf course. We're looking at him going and taking a training lessons with his coach. We're looking at him practicing chipping in his backyard and doing yoga and breathing exercises. So you need every one of this. All of this affects how well you play golf at, at a very elite level, right? So that's kind of where we started. So we started to build up, we started building a platform for elite golfer, right? And we wanted all the elite golfers to kind of come and say, okay, how do I get better? Now, when I start 
asking that question, how do I get better? We want to have scientific answers for it, right? Yeah. It's not like close your eyes and feel the game. That's what I do, right? I go there and close my eyes and feel That's the game, right? <laughs> exactly. That's all, everybody is good at that, right? But then if you come back and the science is able to tell you, these were your most beautiful moments, right? Yeah. Forget, there are a lot of people who are getting, trying to get better. I mean, we had an amazing story. Uh, the college kids in the US have started using us. So college market is a very big market for clips. And uh, we have just signed up eight of the, I mean, two of the top eight uh, Ivy League company, uh, you know, universities. Wow. And Wake Forest uh, just won the, you know, uh, championship this year mm. based on the back of the, what they did with Clips. Right. It's, 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 these are like amazing stories for us to say how it's, it's very incredible as to kind of both the actual individual winner and the team both are clip users and the and a, 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 a blog is coming out very soon with their quotes and how they did it and everything else but the story is that at, at the elite level and the performance level for people who are performance oriented there is a there's a there's a great fit there's a great market fit for this product However, for other people, right, it also makes me engage more, right? So we always have this internal debate about what makes you good is only when you're good at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, so if, 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 you're, <laughs> if, if, if you're rubbish at something, you may still go and do it, yeah. but you don't yeah. enjoy doing it, right? Yeah. But if you're really getting good at something, then you actually go and enjoy it. And golf yeah. is a game of personal enjoyment, right, mm -hmm. for everyone that actually plays that game. Yeah. And so what we're trying to do is create that moment for them, for everybody. So which is why it's a social platform. You know, you can actually connect with your coaches. You can look what your peers are doing. And we're trying to make it a little bit more bigger this year, you know, by bringing all those integrations and truly becoming the data aggregator that we wanted to be. Wow, that's it. I love that. I really love that approach. Just just going back to what you were saying right at the beginning about, yeah, the logical thing would be, like say, once you've got this model that can predict performance of a, a bat and ball sport, you know, why would you not then look to scale it out to other sports? and I really like the differentiation of nice golf. You know, we are passionate about golf that and solving these problems for golfers because I also think it's very clever from a customer user base point of view that golfers are probably the most passionate sports people about their sport. And like I say, just different nuances that exist in golf, you know, how much people really want to go from that level to the next level, you know, where you can go and play five-a-side football maybe every other week, but actually people aren't that bothered about getting that much better at football, do you know what I mean? Whereas with golf, because it's very much like a it's me versus the course kind of, you know, sport, you know, it's all on you, don't you, right? <laughs> so you want to get better and you want to sort of see improvements. Um, so, yeah, I really I really love the uh, I love the concept and, it, you know, and great news to be uh, cracking into the, you know, the state's college market because that's just, uh, I didn't really realise actually how huge the state's sports you know, college um, market is until recently. It's just ginormous, isn't it? So, yeah. so really nice accolade uh, there as well. So, uh, fantastic. Okay, cool. Um, maybe, maybe then to close in, let's talk a little bit about your leadership style because I think you've clearly got a really inspirational story and you've achieved some great things, but to maybe show a value around, you know, you've, you've built things from scratch multiple times. You know, you've seen a problem, a business problem, you've worked out how to solve it. I appreciate there's, many different ways to skin a cat and there's probably not one answer to this question but i think very often you know certainly fledgling ctos for people stepping into that role for the first time maybe they're building something yeah they're always really interested in what sort of structure what kind of approaches uh successful ctos in the past have used to to build and scale a product from scratch so that could be around you know how do you build and structure a team and um, you know what what does that look like are there any kind of overarching systems or approaches that you use when it comes to actually building and scaling uh tech teams i mean 
I love to go back to my steel ideas and they were kind of when David and I started working we basically wrote, wrote a bunch of ground rules for ourselves how we want to operate ourselves right and a few things that stuck on my head ever right and there are three as I mean again I would like to kind of make it simpler and say that we wrote about eight rules the things that stuck to me were kind of few things the first and foremost is we said that we are all very smart people right and that's a very simplistic answer but very difficult answer which is find smart people right i mean it's 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 something that you would hear steve jobs say all the time right <laughs> find people who are smarter than you no i'm not going to be better than him in saying that in any better in, in any form of fashion right but unless you have a, when you're working with some ceos when you're working at teams and i've seen a spectrum of capabilities right so and i've come to appreciate the spectrum a lot so you know what works for a large organization like a bank will not work for steel iaplet Right, because they are two different organizations, two different mindsets. We are trying to do two, two different things. But if I were to build Clipped again, if I were to build another startup again, I would be looking at smart people. Right, that's there is no shortcut to that. Then you're talking about two things, right? You have, you have smart people who can work together, or smart people who don't work together, right? Because your egos are high, you know what is best. You know, it, it's a very difficult thing. So the first ground rule that stuck with me throughout this career was David called it nicely. building a strong man building a strong man yeah like a strong man is pretty easy right you take a stick throw some hay around it put a shirt on it and then put it in the grass right and it it, it does its job scares the crows away mm-hmm. right but for us we said that any working piece of software is better than a beautiful idea yeah. so for us it is all about strongness we would always say okay we are talking about an idea go build it I don't come and say this is your idea is better than mine, right? So if you build something, let there be a straw man there, right? Mm. The second aspect of it, we immediately said, no straw man is gold made of gold, right? If you want to replace a straw man, you will have problems that you can build a build a better straw man, mm. right? So don't say that this is being done, so don't do it or it's not fit. If someone builds a better straw man, accept the better straw man, yeah, right? So true. those two meant you can actually build a culture. of learning mm. doing and willing to fail right because yeah. not all strangers will stand there we know that they will fall yeah they can be broken you know so they could they could fall off a cyclone whatever happens mm. they're not going to be there because they're not strong they're not built of they're not pyramids right to stay there for millions of years and stand the test of time yeah. these are strangers they're going to fly away yeah. right but the idea is that build what you believe in and build something better than that and keep building that way you constantly learn when failures happen yeah. right so moment that culture is inculcated into the team it basically helps everyone understand again similar concept we were also talking about most of the times in a startup world you are building when fly right you know as we say we building in the air we are not building in a you know we're not building an aircraft in in a, in a laboratory and then making it fly we actually we are already taken off yeah. and then we're building it there you know it's like there is no room for us or there is enough room for us to fail and then we can't kind of accepting so the second taking it into the people side of things right we're talking about here never be afraid of letting you know putting down people when they make mistakes not going to help any culture not going to help any team so i look at it i mean that has been my predominantly my style which is let people fail let them make mistakes they are more able to understand where they come from with the proper education and proper you know treatment you know 
treating them as human beings, treating them as adults in many cases, they understand what they've done and they will learn from it and never do it again. Mm-hmm. Again, you're going back to the first principle, they're very smart people, yeah. right? So they're, they're kind, they know that they shouldn't do it. Yeah. But then if you don't create in a normal way, they can make mistakes, we can never be successful. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, allow people to build, never let egos come in, you know, allow them to fail and then hands off. <laughs> Let them do, right? So yeah, it's like, awesome. and this is the last aspect of that for me. Dave and I always used to think, make yourself redundant in your job. Mm. Other people should be able to do what you're doing. If, yeah. if, if you constantly have a bottleneck on you, yeah. the organization fails. Yeah. So, it's you know, a test of if you truly built something, I guess, isn't it? If it works without you there, otherwise you haven't really built anything beyond your yourself, you know, your own skills. So yeah, I think that's fantastic. We're looking at it, you know, the, the, you know, get good people, absolutely, obviously being in the world of recruitment is something that totally resonates with me. Um, and it's always really interesting within kind of, you know, software engineers and data scientists, you know, like how companies look at what is a smart person, you know, is it actually experience what they've worked on or actually do they look at other more subtle characteristics about, you know, how do they solve problems, you know, because it could be, you know, certain very intelligent people have just not been in a scenario or in a situation yet of where they've been able to solve a similar problem to a problem that's being solved in this company. It doesn't mean they can't do it. It doesn't mean they wouldn't be better at doing it than somebody that has solved that problem before. So I think it's being able to, to, to spot that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the um, the point about failing and creating a, a safe environment that embraces failure, I think that's that's genius. And I think that's true in any any environment. I think a lot of the, the, the high-performing software engineering teams, I find they kind of share that commonality of you know like i said there's no such thing as perfect and it's okay to fail and you know everything we're doing is with it's sort of doing adapt and you know, kind of that iterative sort of style um i heard a quite an interesting um chinese proverb the other day actually which kind of resonated with me when you were talking there but it basically said that instru- obstructions don't block the path they are the path you know and if you can kind of that's brilliant. I'm going to pick it on. Embrace the uh, embrace the mindset of you know whatever goes wrong. Don't look at it like it's a problem. Look at it like that is actually a learning. You know, it's a learning experience that we can get from that. And um, you know, that's uh, that. In my opinion, is is where most companies will you know, So um, yeah, fantastic. Well, um, thank you. I think it's been an amazing conversation. Like, I'm really grateful for you to come on and chat with us, and and really. Uh, inspiring stuff that you've shared today and um, i always like to end uh my uh, my podcast with uh, an idea that i stole from uh, rich reed who's the guy who invented instant smoothies and he wrote this book called if i could tell you one thing i don't know if you've read it but basically he goes around and speaks to loads of different famous successful people like bill clinton and basically sort of asks for their one favorite piece of advice okay that they've, they've gathered throughout their years and um, so I would like to ask you the same if you'd be so kind. What's the what's your sort of one favourite piece of advice that you would uh, you pass on to uh, your your fellow human? I mean, it kind of reverberates everything that we've spoken about in this entire uh, last one hour that we've been speaking is predominantly that, right? So this is the best piece of advice that has stayed with me for the last twenty years. One of when I left a company, you know, it, it never is easy when you leave a company especially when you've built something good and you have mentors there, right? So one of my, my early day mentors who I have a lot of respect for today, he said to me, become like a river, right? And he said, you know, you start in the, in, in the mountains and you're very fast. You're kind of flowing freely. And, you know, uh, 
at some point you will slow down right the way you're kind of breaking things you're going to break a lot of stuff and create your own paths right that's what reverse does yeah. but more importantly never stop running and to me that was kind of very philosophical at the point but also if i applied in career if i applied in business made a lot of sense around that particular lesson for me right so it's like moving on and that kind of people will say learn right moving on is nothing but learning right you're constantly learning there are things again you're going to make mistakes you're going to be blocked you're going to be there are too many things that are going to be thrown at your way so in life but the reality is if you're learning and if you're moving on constantly moving towards a goal then it it makes it super easy and that's what i say to people keep running yeah brilliant i love that yeah i think it's uh it's Churchill says, isn't it? Success is uh, going from one failure to the next without a loss of enthusiasm. Yeah, just, just keep going. Exactly. Keep, keep running. I think that's, uh, that's a brilliant, brilliant bit of advice to end on. So, uh, well, look, on that note, thank you very much again for, uh, for coming in. Really enjoyed the conversation and uh, lovely, to, uh, lovely to see you. And uh, yeah, I look, forward to seeing your, uh, I look forward to seeing the world of golf transformed or continue to be transformed through the great work you're doing at Clips and, uh, and beyond. So, uh, yeah, thanks again. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it.